So September 1st is today, if you haven't moved uh, forward on your calendar, it's uh, definitely the, the beginning of a change here. Uh, the, the summer is ending and, and fall is beginning. We've, uh, we've seen the start of college football season and back to school. Um, we, one of our largest groups of, of children here in, in, our, in our Horizon Kids program is our kindergartners. And so a couple weeks ago, our, our children's director was sharing with me this story. And I, I, I think it was just an awesome story of how confident and loved our, our kindergartners are. So those that were going from pre-K to kindergarten in our Horizon Kids program, um, if you've ever gone in and into our cafeteria or into the cafeteria here where our Horizon Kids meet, um, there's just like some little play panel walls separating the, the classrooms where we split them out in different ages. And there's, there's signs on the different walls of where the classes meet. And so two weeks ago when our, our, we had our like move up Sunday where folks uh, went to the next grade level, our kindergartners went straight into the next room. They didn't even pause. They went straight. They, they, were, they knew that it was a, a time to move on up in their own lives. If you're a baseball fan, September 1st is when uh, the, the baseball rosters expand and they go from 25 to 40 players on the team. Um, it's a time where those, those guys that are down in the minor leagues get to come up and shine just even for a month to show what they can do. One of the most famous uh, guys that got to do this opportunity uh, about 10 years ago for the Rays was, was a guy named David Price. He came up, yes, he's a, he's a Vanderbilt grad as well, just like Erica. And he came up in that season in 2008. It was the year that the Rays made the playoffs. He pitched out of the bullpen that year. He, re, he had two saves in just that short amount of time. And it helped launch his career to the next season. Eventually he became a Cy Young winner uh, and probably one of the best players to have played for the Rays. It's a time for new starts, for promotions, for moving ahead. And so, if you haven't ever noticed, just looking around you, this room is full of people that are movers and shakers, natural leaders, people of influence, people that their friends look to and follow. For some of you, you're industrious, you're starting new businesses. For some of you, this might be relationships there. You're thinking about a proposal. You're thinking about marriage. You're thinking about having kids. For some of you, it's even maybe your job might take you away from Tampa. For a church that is almost a year old, this has probably been one of the hardest things for Eric and I when we've had so many people that are influencers, leaders that are successful in life. We've already probably lost like four or five families, not because we've made them mad or because they didn't like what was going on, but because literally their job, their next step in their life has taken them away from here. The people around you are leaders. And many of us, we want to increase in terms of our influence, in terms of our success, and in terms of our income even, and I think God gives us ambition as a gift. It's absolutely a gift that God can use. Uh, what I'm not saying today is that our success in life equals our faithfulness or our faithfulness equals our success in life. For, for some people, those two things go absolutely together, but that is not what I'm saying today at all. When we say that someone is successful, we often say, what do we say? We're meaning that they're 
financially doing well, aren't we? When we say someone's successful, it means they have material things so often. And that's absolutely a trap of the enemy. When our ROI is about the bottom line, about money, about material things, we have fallen into a trap, an absolute trap in our lives. But I want to offer today that we need to lead a life of significance. And we lead a life of significance, it's about finding purpose. When we lead a life of significance, it's about finding meaning. When we lead a life of significance, it's about doing something that actually matters in the world. And that's, that's when we find genuine importance in our own lives. And so today we're going to read through a story in the Gospel of Matthew. If you brought your Bibles with you, go ahead and take it out. It'll be in Matthew chapter 20. If you use the, the Bible app or you can go to the Horizon Tampa Bay, uh, Horizon tampabase.com slash today. You can find our online bulletin and follow along there as well. So Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse, verse 20 here. Then the mother of Zebedee's son came to Jesus along with her sons. Bowing before him, she asked a favor of him. What do you want, he asked. She responded, say that these two sons of mine will sit one on your right hand and one on your left hand in your kingdom. Jesus replied, you don't know what you are asking. So I can only imagine the backstory to this scene. There had to be a lot of conversations at home between the sons of Zebedee. These these are two disciples. These are James and John. And James and John, I can only imagine, went home over and over again and told their mother how great they were and how much Jesus loved them and cared about them and how many awesome things they were doing for Jesus. And so two things had to happen. They had to either, I think, ask their mother, hey, mom, can you go tell Jesus that we're his best disciples? Or their mother got tired of hearing the same thing every day. And she's like the original helicopter mom here. She must have been from like South Galilee. And she, so she takes her two boys, and I, I'm kind of picturing them getting dragged a little bit. I've done this with David, like getting them going somewhere. Because I think at this point they're realizing this is a mistake. And so their mom drags them to Jesus. And she says, I got a favor to ask. Can my boys, can they be number one and number two? Can they be the most important, the most successful? And if Erica was Jesus in this moment, it would have sounded something like this. Y'all don't even know what y'all are asking for. (laughs) I have to laugh a little bit myself. Y'all don't even know what you're asking for. See, they've been following Jesus around and they, they think they have it figured out what it means to be a disciple. And so often in our own lives, when we get the promotion, we move up to the next grade, we get the new job, and we're hired, we automatically think that we then have the skills, that we're actually ready to do what that person thought we were ready to do. Back we 
before we even moved to Tampa to start Horizon, we began to dream about what this church would look like. And we went to church planning boot camp for a week. And by the end of it, I wish I could tell you we were experts on how to start a church. There were there some definitely good ideas that we left with. Um, but one of the, probably the worst ideas that we left with was this, was, this was our prototype logo that Erica had drawn of how we were going to be Ignite Church. And I think she mentioned this last week uh, because she, doesn't like, she definitely likes to, to burn things down and get things moving. Um, and so th- we could have been celebrating the first year of Ignite Church. So this is the kind of stuff that we were not ready for. We were re- not ready for graphic design and naming. So thank you, God, that we are not Ignite Church today. Just because someone thought we completed boot camp, we knew everything to do. The other thing that we learned at boot camp is there are three great times to start a a new church. The first of the year, around Easter, or at back to school time. So so we went with the back to school time option, because that seemed most logical. And what you don't understand, or what you probably understand more than us, but which we didn't understand, A, I was from Florida, I was from Tampa, but we'd been living in Nashville. We hadn't quite yet experienced what, what hurricane season is like. And so the height of hurricane season, the, the date that is most statistically probable for a hurricane is like September 12th. So we launched last year, September 16th. We had a whole conversation with the event director at the Garden Club last year when we, when we launched when she was like, you know, last year, like this same time, this hurricane called Irma came and we shut down for two weeks because that part of the building over there flooded. Do you know that? And we're like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> there are a lot of the things that we don't know. So if we want to have our head in the clouds and feet on the ground, the first thing is we have, we've got to stay humble. We've got to stay humble. There are so many things in our lives that we just don't simply know. Even if someone says that we now know him because we have a diploma hanging on our wall, we still might not know him. I uh, coach high school football, and we had a, a rough game this week, and I coached the offensive line, and the offensive line did not play well at all. And our, he- our head coach, uh, after the game, he's, uh, he's a young guy, and this is his first season being the head coach, and he's sitting on a bench, and he calls me over, and he goes, have a seat, sit a while. And like, I'm like, I'm going to just get it right here. Like, my players were terrible. Like, he's just going to ream me out right now. And the first thing he says to me after I sit down was, what did I do wrong and I, I, I'm about to start speaking. And he's like, no. What did I do wrong? And be honest. And I was just blown away that this young coach, yes, the score might have told him he did a few things wrong. But he was willing to be humble in that moment. That the only way that we were going to get better as a team, as individual coaches, was to admit what are the things that we were doing wrong. What didn't we know? He'd gotten a title as the head JV coach from a coach that's won four state championships. And you would think he would know everything at this point what to do just because he had had the title. But he had to stay humble in that moment. 
And when we don't stay humble, we, we find ourselves living life in cruise control. I can do this. I call this the, I don't want to talk about work, and I just want to Netflix and chill by myself way of life. And, it, and when we don't ever take time to think about our days, to stay humble, we begin to miss our callings, we begin to miss our purpose, and life just moves past us. And there's nothing better than living life for a reason. There's no better drink, there's no better drug than when we live life with purpose and reason. And so when we continue on in this story, Jesus replied to them, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink from the cup that I'm about to drink from? He's asking them, I'm going to suffer. Are you willing to suffer with me? And they say, it almost sounds like with a lot of confidence, I don't think they know what he's really asking. We can, Jesus, we can. And he said to them, you will drink from my cup because 11 of the 12 disciples did die as martyrs. They did suffer with Jesus. But he says to sit at my right or left hand isn't mine to give. It belongs to those whom my father prepared it. In life, there are a lot of things that we get to decide for ourselves. Where we're going to go to lunch today, what we're going to have for lunch, are we going to go to the beach or the pool to celebrate Labor Day, are we going to have a hamburger or a hot dog? But there are a lot of things in life that we simply have no control over how we answer. Some things are God's to answer. Who's saved and who's not? Who's going to heaven and who's in hell? Popeyes or Chick-fil-A? There, there are a lot of these questions that, that we can lose a lot of sleep over that we simply don't know the answer to. We just don't know. And they're like, Jesus, who's going to sit on the right and the left? And they want an answer. And when I read this story, I want an answer. I almost wish that Jesus would just say, no way. Neither one of you are worthy. I'm picking those two over there. We want to know these answers, don't we? And there's just some things we simply don't know. And it's okay to not know. And that's where we begin to experience wonder with God when we don't know. We admit there are things that are beyond us. And so while this conversation is going on, when we go to verse 24, it says, Now when the other disciples heard about this, they became angry with, the, uh, with these two brothers. So these two are dragged by their mom, James and John. And the other ten are over in the corner kind of watching this scene play out. And they get angry. They get angry that they did not think to ask this question first. They get angry at the brothers because they think they should be one and two. They get angry and jealous And here's the thing, mediocrity loves company. Mediocrity loves other people to, to hang out with them because they want to be reminded that their not great life is okay because everyone's life is not great. They want you to remember who you were right now so you will always be that person. 
They don't want to ever talk about who the, the person you're becoming is. When I first graduated seminary and I was applying for one of my first uh, youth pastor jobs, I had an older friend that, that worked at the Vanderbilt uh, Hospital and part of his job was with doctors doing career development. And I remember him working with me uh, for this job that I really wanted. And so he coached me up on what to wear, how to answer some questions. Um, probably the, the most detailed thing I remember him talking me through was the first interview was a, was a Skype-type interview. I was uh, living out of town at the time. Um, the job was in Nashville. And he, he was coaching me through how to, how to be really successful at a Skype interview. And one of the details he told me that I, I still remember this day that I would have never thought I would have thought about was uh, don't look at the, the screen, like don't look at yourself or the person. You have to look at the little like dot on the top of your, your, your computer. Because if not, your eyes look a little shifty, he said. And they'll begin to, to like, you know, slide you a little lower down the list. And he took the time to be in my corner, to not be a person telling me this is who you are right now and this is who you're going to be forever. He told me who I could be and he was cheering me on from the corner. And there came a time in his life that his son went through a rust spell. He, he failed out of college after his freshman year. He moved back to Nashville. And I have no idea why, but Eric and I offered him an opportunity to live with us for a semester while he got his feet back together. And so we had a 19-year-old living in our guest bedroom for a whole year or for a whole semester in that moment. Because I realized that, that his dad had took the time to be in my corner. And so for that semester, Eric and I were in William's corner, telling him he didn't have to be a failure the rest of his life just because of this bad one year, that his future was different. God used us to speak into his life. And I'm excited that he's now just starting his last year of law school. And so we are thankful the way that God has, has worked in William's life. But it took someone being in each of our corners in those moments, in those rough spots. Because we very well could have just gone back to mediocrity. And so when we live a life, we also have to sometimes be those people that are pulling people out of those corners. Do we have friends and family that only want to be mediocre? Sometimes we have to be that voice, and that's probably the hardest thing about standing in a corner with someone. Let's not be like those disciples who were ridiculing them, that were jealous, that were angry. And so this is how Jesus finishes this passage. So Jesus sees what's going on. He, he calls them over and says, You know that those who rule the Gentiles show off their authority over them, and their high-ranking officials order them around, but that's not the way it will be with you. Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you will be your slave, just as the human one didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life to liberate many people. So here's the thing. Jesus says we all serve something. If you're serving 
what you think is power, what you're actually serving is the fear of looking weak. If you're serving your own intelligence, you're serving the fear that someone's going to think you're stupid. If you're serving money, you're actually serving the fear of being without it. If you're serving relationships, it's that fear of being alone. In the business world, there's a, there's a thing called these lead indicators, and oftentimes they're the bottom line, your net worth. And in the church world, it's oftentimes attendance, how many butts are in the seats, or uh, a measure of how successful you are. And it's, it's really tough when you're, you're first starting out because you want to compete with everyone else and have more butts in the seats, it feels like. But when our mission is to, to shine light and ignite change, there's really actually nothing about butts in the seats. In our first days, you know, we would count the people and, all right, we, we grew a little bit this week. Oh, oh, is she pregnant? Does that count as two, actually? I think that's two. That's, that counts as two. And it's really hard because you, you start to value your own being on what's on the sheet. And so it's a constant struggle, I'll be honest. It's not easy for Eric and I to remind ourselves that, that for a church that's shining light and igniting change, our lead indicators are not butts in the seats every week. Our lead indicators are the number of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that are made. It's a grade that our partner school gets. It's the number of lives that are, are changed. Folks that are connecting in our small groups. People that are stepping up to lead our small groups. People that are coming to ask us, this church is changing my life. What can I do to help? Those are our lead indicators. Those are the numbers that we're tracking. Because at the end of the day, that's how we shine light and ignite change. And it's a constant struggle, I'll be honest. It's, it's really easy just to check that one box and we have more butts in the seats this week than we had last. Win for the week. But God asks, who are you serving? What are your lead indicators in life? You can't be great unless you serve me first, Jesus says. How many people know God because of my witness, because of the way I'm serving in the world? Next week, we'll begin a series on the book of Joshua, on this God in the Old Testament named Joshua. And Joshua is the leader that immediately follows Moses. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses has been leading the people for 40 years. He led them out of slavery in Egypt and he gets them to the edge of the river to go into the promised land. And Moses climbs up on a mountain and he looks over and he sees the promised land. And God says to him, this is what I've been leading you for. This is what I've been leading you to. And Moses never actually makes it over the river to the promised land. He dies a short time after seeing this promised land. But this is what the scriptures say about Joshua and Moses. Joshua was filled with wisdom because Moses had placed his hands on him. Moses was in Joshua's corner. So the Israelites listened to Joshua and they did exactly what the Lord commanded Moses. No prophet like Moses has yet emerged in Israel Moses knew the Lord face to face.
Moses climbs up and sees over, but yet now it's Joshua's turn to lead. Success will end. Success will end. Money will end. But our significance will live on. Moses' significance and Joshua's life lives on. We must chase after significance and not success. And here's the thing about significance. We may never experience the full impact of our significance. That's what happened for Moses. He gets him all the way there, 40 years of leading, and he doesn't get to see the full impact of his significance. I'll be the first one to say that sucks sometimes. That sucks. He doesn't get to see it fully. But here's the thing. What Moses did get to experience was he knew God face to face because he valued significance over success. He valued that relationship with God more than his own success. There's a woman I I first read about this week. I'd never heard her name before. There's a woman named Henry Mears. She was born in Fargo, North Dakota. And she has probably impacted your life or someone you know. She was an early Christian educator. And in the 1950s and 60s, she led led a small group for young people, for high school students and college students. And it grew from just like 400 people to thousands of people were connected to Henrietta Mears. And Henrietta Mears mentored three people that you probably, you might have known their names before and they probably have impacted your life, maybe even indirectly. The first person she mentored that actually lived with her for 10 years was a guy named Bill Bright. And Bill Bright was the founder and leader of Campus Crusade. And it was through her mentorship that he began to use his influence to reach college students with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second person that she mentored that may have had an impact on your own life was a guy that I literally never even knew had started this. It was a guy named Jim Rayburn. Jim Rayburn was the founder of Young Life. He began to take the gospel to high school students, to young people. And maybe that has changed your life or impacted the life of someone you know. And it's because of Jim Rayburn and his connection to Henrietta Mears that she influenced millions of people. And the third person that she mentored, that she actually helped shape his call and his own questioning of the Bible and scripture was a guy named Billy Graham. He was a part of that young group when he had just finished college. And Henrietta Mears mentored these three men, probably the three biggest names of the 20th century Christianity. And it was because of the work of Henrietta Mears. I think she died in, I think it was 1964. The impact of her legacy was probably never felt in her own life. But her significance still stays strong today because of her faithful witness then. So what are your lead indicators going to be? No one will care what you're holding on your last day. Only the people that actually want that stuff will will care. But they'll care about how you lived your life. 
In Matthew 25, Jesus tells us that it's the things that we do for the least of these you do for me. When you see someone hungry and you give them food, when you see someone thirsty and you give them a drink, you see somebody without and you take care of them. When you see an immigrant, you friend them. When you see someone in prison, you visit them. When you do these things, you do for me. These are our lead indicators in life for life that is significant over successful. 